0: We've been doing uh, a, a series on uh, spiritual gifts uh, and here's, here's the big idea. God is generous. Is that a good idea? You know, I mean, we, this week have we not seen some of the drawbacks of democracy? We have, right? And I've said it before, I heard a while ago that uh, someone said the best system of governance is a benevolent dictator, a loving dictator. And that's exactly what we've got with God. He's loving But he's not brutal and harsh. He's not forcing people into things. He's a loving God that leads and he leads so well. And he happens to be extraordinarily generous. So when humanity blew it right at the very beginning, he didn't give up. He didn't say that's it. He said, I'm going to send someone some way to crush the head of that serpent. And this person, Jesus shows up on the scene. He does everything in a way that blows circuits in people. He just does stuff that doesn't make sense. I've been reading through the book of John and I'll tell you something about the book of John is most people engaging with Jesus in the book of John just don't get what kind of level he's on. They say things that just don't make any sense a lot of the time because they're just thinking and operating on a level different to Jesus. But Jesus keeps going, right? And he keeps being super, super generous and he, he dies by being executed on a cross and it looks for all money like it's a total and complete mission failure. Amen? It just does. It looks like a complete mission failure, but God's plan is not to be a drill sergeant that dominates, but to be someone who's humble and comes underneath and actually changes people. Amen? That's what He does. And it turns out to be, it goes, it's a classic Australian story in, in one sense, isn't it? You know, the underdog story. It's like, it gets brutally executed you know, that's, that's where the word excruciating comes from. It means out of the cross, right? Crucifixion, he gets br- brutally executed and this complete and just shameful failure gets turned into this massive success. Like that's a, such an Australian thing, isn't it? We like stories like that. No one was with him when he was dying on the cross, really. There's probably a handful of people there. Everyone else who said, yeah, we're with you, man, weren't there. And what does that do? Well, that death on the cross opens up the most sublime, supreme and abundant generosity toward you than you can ever imagine. And you will spend the rest of your days trying to get your head around how generous God is toward you. Amen? You will. You will. You just don't get it. I mean, you can sit there and you can go, I get it. No, you you don't get it. I mean, Paul kind of says, you know, I think it's Ephesians 3, he says, you actually can't get your head around how much God loves you. You know, and as soon as you think you get it, you don't actually get it. But God goes even further than that, doesn't he? Doesn't he go better than that? I mean, when he's, when he's kicking around on, on the earth, Jesus says, listen, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Now, this isn't even about being an orphan, but the truth is that a lot of us operate like orphans, don't we? Just, I've just got to arrange my own life. I've got to make it go my, the way that I feel like it needs to go. I've got to protect myself. I've got to, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. But yet all the while Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And what does he say that he's going to give us to exemplify exactly what he's talking about? The Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. I will give you the Holy Spirit so you won't be an orphan. I'm going to be with you forever. I'm going to live in you. So if you love Jesus... And you've turned away from doing life your way and you've said, my life's done the way that I wanted to do it. I want to do it your way and I want to live for you. He gives you his Holy Spirit to live inside of you. That's pretty generous, isn't it? But he goes better than that. And who knows this is the way God works. It's just like, I'll just go better. I'll just do it even better than that. He goes better than that and he says, what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to give to all of my kids, I'm going to give them special gifts that are different from natural talents and abilities and I'm going to make them really gifted so they can go and do some sweet things and make me plain in the context of the church and in the context of, of the world. That they will actually go out and they'll use these gifts and they'll make my kindness, my grace and my very presence plain and observable to people around them. Isn't that good? And it's, it truly is, I said this last week, it truly is the gift that keeps on giving, is it not? That's what it is. And, and you look at it and you just go, well, I'm not surprised. Because any time that God does something, it ricochets. Have you noticed that? You know, 1 John says, we loved him because he first loved us. You know, when you're loved by God, you don't stop loving, you love more. It kind of ricochets. When God gives his grace, it, it increases, it grows. You know, we're, we're in First Corinthians, we're looking at 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, And uh, the interesting thing about 1 Corinthians is 1 Corinthians is corrective. There's some stuff going on in the church that's not actually helpful and Paul's kind of wanting to correct it. Now the, the trick is you actually need to work out what the problem was. I mean there are parts in Corinthians where it talks about what the problem is but you actually kind of need to work out what the problem is from the way that he's seeking to correct it. So does anyone remember the game show Jeopardy? You do? I think Corinthians is a bit like Jeopardy, where you just get a whole bunch of information and you kind of, some of you going, what is Jeopardy? Jeopardy was this game show, especially people who are under 25 probably, you can just going, yeah. <laughs> you guys are really old. <laughs> it was a game show where someone would give some information and you had to answer it in the form of a question. So if I said something like, um, there's an animal that lives in Africa that's very tall and has a very long neck, you would say... What is a giraffe? Did you get that? Is that all good? And that's kind of what we're faced with a little bit with First Corinthians is we're we're faced with how do we actually work out what Paul's actually talking about? What's actually the problem that's going on here? So I'd love for you to uh, it, it, I'd love for you to have a Bible with you if you've uh, if you can do that. There's some spares up the back. And uh, what I might do is I might actually read 1 Corinthians 12. So if you can turn to that, if you're not, uh, if you're not particularly familiar with um, the way Bibles work, it works like any other book, got a contents page in the front, big numbers of the chapters, small numbers of the verses. Um, love for you to have that open in front of you so that you uh, can see for yourself are uh, the things that God wants us to hear today. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 21 to 31. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 to 31. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, it's talking about a physical body, so it is with Christ... If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we bestow the greater honour... And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may may be no division in the body. Now that's a hint, all right? And if you go back earlier in Corinthians, you can see there's a problem in the church, is that the church is actually divided. There's division in there. And some of you go, what, humans having division? (laughs) When does that happen? Anyway, let's keep reading but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? The answer is no. Do all work miracles? Do we all possess Gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, the answer is no, but earnestly desire the higher gifts and I'll still, I'll show you a still more excellent way. All right, the church is meant to be different to its surrounding culture. Is that true? It is. And I think that's one of the things that Paul's actually doing here, the church needs to be different to the surrounding culture. Now... If you think about giftings in the context of the surrounding culture, what about the surrounding culture is being absorbed by the Corinthian church? And the follow-up question to that is, what about the surrounding culture gets absorbed by us? Now, you don't have to read too far in, um, in Corinthians to find out that some people in there were just jockeying for position and status in the church. And I think one of the things that the church can easily pick up from its surrounding culture is it can easily pick up a connection between gifts and status. I'm going without a PowerPoint today. You can pray for me. We pick up a connection between gifts and status. Now, let's, uh, let's just imagine this is an AA meeting for uh, fallen kind of church members, Okay. Just, just imagine that, because you all are. If you're in the church and you love Jesus, you're a mess. Everyone's a mess, right? It just so happens that we're blessed to have a God who likes to hang out with messy people. So let's, let's just put that out as a starting point for us right now. Let's just, can I just do a quick survey? And you can abstain if you want to. That's okay if you want to abstain. You've got the immunity... Uh, necklace if you're new today everyone will go no they're not and they're not kind of putting their dirty laundry out here I'm I'm just going to cut them some slack but here's the question have you ever in the church ever once ever been envious of someone else's either gifting or calling that God's given to them put your hand up if it's ever happened to you once okay Now, what happens, and my hand was up, right? I have, this is a, seems to be a friend of mine sometimes, his struggle, all right? A very bad friend. I don't like this friend. The thought, I'd like to have what they've got. I'd like to have the influence they've got. I'd like to be a leader like they are. I'd like to be, I'd like to have the gifting that they have. Now, what happens when you have that kind of thing happening in the church where someone else wants what someone else has got? Do you have unity? You, you end up with division. Now, people can be quiet about it. They can be quiet about what they'd like to have, which they don't have. But, And you could say they could be quiet and you could get on and you could have some kind of unity. But if you're pushed further using the metaphor that Paul's used here about the body working well together, the team's not going to work that well with that going on in the church. Do you see that? It just won't. Because the person that's thinking about the thing that they'd like to be that they're not is actually not doing the thing that they are. Does that make sense? Like you got it? You need to do what you are. You need to do what God's called you to do. You need to do what God's gifted you to do and not be trying to be someone else. So, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's kick in. So I'd love you to have 1 Corinthians 12 open in front of you. Let's just do this first. Have a look with me at verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptised in a one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. The scriptures are actually quite clear that the church is the body of Christ. That is amazing, isn't it? It's, it's not, you know, the church is not the henchman of Jesus or, the, or whatever you want to put in or it's the supporters or the groupies of Jesus. All right? You could just go through one thing after the other and just think about what is the church? Well, no, it's actually the body of Christ. Think about the incredible closeness with which Jesus is describing us using that metaphor. Like you just you're in. He's the head. The church is his body. You're not some random disconnected person with something to do. You're actually part of God's body. 1 Corinthians, sorry, Colossians 1, 17 to 18, to speaking of Jesus, he's before all things, and all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body, the church. Now, if the church is the body of Jesus, the church is doing something very different to what a lot of people in the church think that they're doing. Is that true? Because what we're actually doing when we're talking about the body, another metaphor that Scripture uses, it talks about the fact that we're in God's family. Now, if you're doing body, you're doing team. That's what you're doing. You're not doing individual. You're not doing whatever you want to do. You're doing team. And so the main thing that you need to think about is how does God want me to serve The team, not how does God serve me and how should the rest of the church serve me. They're the wrong questions. And sometimes in churches, people ask those questions. And sometimes we feel like we need to answer those questions. But I think it takes great wisdom and great skill to say to people and great tenderness to say to people, hey, you're asking the wrong question. You need to ask a different question. And let me ask you a question right now. Are you a team player? Are you? if you're part of the project, I'm not saying that you're not, it's just a good opportunity for you to, re- you to reflect, are you a team player? Now, some of you go, well I don't have to be a team player and I just go, well the whole metaphor that Paul's using in 1 Corinthians 12 breaks down at that point, does it not? And I'm not even saying that you have to keep going to the project, you could go to another church. See up here, we're not saying your church... The Restore Ministries wants to equip the church. There's one church. So in God's church, how are you a team player? How are you working together? You know, the church is not a club. Does anyone notice that? It's not a sporting team kind of vibe. You know, we're not... Have you noticed this? People in churches are not actually united by common interests. I uh, years ago like early on in the project I remember uh, speaking about this and saying that uh, Jesus brought together to be part of his disciples people who are natural enemies and he still does all right natural enemies get brought together in Jesus's team and they're not united by a common interest they're united by Jesus and they have very different ways of looking at the world and very different ways of seeing things I mean, think about Jesus' disciples, right? You had Simon the Zealot, who probably wanted to kill Romans, and you had Matthew, who worked for him. So get those guys together. I mean, that's going to make for an awkward community group meeting that week, isn't it? It's like, Simon, who are we going to kill? And Matthew's going, well, I want to make money off him, so can we find a way to... Anyway... Isn't that what it is? God, we, we are not doing a club where you just get this common interest and you all get together and you're kind of heading in the same direction. Jesus has a way of just pulling people in and you're putting them all kind of in the same bag together and, and making them kind of His body and going forward. You know, and we're not kind of a, like a sporting team where it's essentially competitive. God's, God's body is not a competitive thing. It's, it's kind of like we're, just, we're, we're bringing everyone in together and we're being inclusive. It's not we're excluding the people who are not very good so that we can win. We're in. It's it's inclusive. You know, I often think to the back to my uh, high school days, and the classic time where the team gets picked at lunch. You know, a couple of captains get nominated, and you can work out where you sit in terms of talent by what number draft pick you are. On that, you know what I'm talking about. And I always picture in my head that if Jesus was one of the captains picking a team, he would pick, you know, if it was for soccer, he would pick the leg amputee first, wouldn't he? Isn't that what he does? He picks the weak things and the shameful things of the world, the shame, the strong. It's like, let's get all of those on my team. So church is not like a sporting team. And who knows that the, Jesus does not need the church to be predominantly an institution, The world doesn't need another institution, another organisation for the sake of an organisation. We don't need to have another institution that's got a whole new kind of set of rules and there's all this kind of compliance that you have to to, uh, get on with to be able to fit in with it. The world does not need another organisation where the structure leads and the vision serves the structure. The world needs an organisation where the vision leads and the structure serves the vision. The world doesn't need the church to be a museum either, does it? Memories of the past, honouring the past, I'm not saying that we shouldn't honour the past, but it exists, a church that exists to celebrate bygone victories. The world doesn't need another church like that. <laughs> the world needs a church that can look back to bygone victories and what God's done in the past in a way that it builds faith to actually take risks and to go forward. Amen. What Jesus is doing with the church is he's doing family, he's doing the body, he's doing team. It's, it's all about team. It's all about being connected to him and doing what he's asked you to do and what he's gifted you to do. Second thing today. Just want to have a look at, can you read with me? We'll just read verse 14 to 20 of 1 Corinthians 12 again. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Now, you know what I think this is talking about? I think this is talking about status. That's what I think this is talking about. And let me throw a few thoughts out about what I think this is talking about and how it could actually apply to us. What makes you part of the body of Christ? Is it your gifting? The answer is? The answer is? No, it's not. You don't get made part of the body by your gifting it's it's you're part of God's body the body of Christ by loving him and being baptized into him now once you're in as I said earlier you get given gifts and I think one of the things that this text is saying is if you're different it doesn't mean that that you don't belong in the body You don't actually have to all be the same. And I think this is one of the things that we can get caught in um, when you're thinking about status, is there, there are some, and we'll get to hierarchy in a minute, but there are some things that are valued, and it's like we have to be the same or we can't actually fit in. And I think this is a big thing that's actually going on in culture at the moment. You know, one of the things that I've noticed big time in culture at the moment is that you get, is a lot of people are talking about equality from the perspective of sameness, you have to do the same thing to be equal. You see that? You have to, everyone, it's, it's like the right thing, everyone has to have rights to the same things to actually be equal. Everyone, everyone has to be able to do the same things or act the same way to be equal. And I just don't think that's necessarily true. And one of the things that that, I think, probably bleeds into is you get this idea that unity only comes from uniformity. We've all got to be the same. If you don't fit in, we've all got to be the same. Otherwise, you can't have unity. And I want to to say to you something far better than unity from uniformity is unity in diversity. Amen? It's like, let's be different. And let's have unity in being different. Now, one of the struggles with this, one of the barriers to this, is that, Humans think that the whole world would be a much better place if it was like them. Some of you are looking at, don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right, you just have those, those secret kind of moments where you're just going kind to of go, if everyone could just be like me, the whole world would be a much happier place. And I want to say to you, I want to say to me, I want to say to everyone today, it wouldn't be. It would be far worse if everyone was like you. I mean, imagine how boring that would actually be. I mean, you can't even get along with yourself. It's true, right? You can't even get along with yourself. Like, if everyone else in the world was just like you, imagine what that would be like. Imagine if everyone was an extrovert in the world. I mean, aside from mass hearing loss, that would be, that would be difficult. Imagine if everyone was an introvert or a creative type or a mass science freak. I say that in an affectionate way. <laughs> I want to say to you this morning, you don't have to be like anyone else. You don't have to be the same as anyone else to be part of God's family. It's better if you're not. You know, and that's what I think this text is saying. If, if everyone was the same, how would the body function? See, part of the struggle for us is that there's a there's a whole bunch of weird kind of influences that can go on inside of our hearts, you know, one of them is just the striving for significance, you know, you just, you want to be significant, you want to do something significant and you kind of work out which one's kind of the most valuable or the two or three that are the most valuable, it's like, I've got to get that one, if I can't get that one, I'm not really part of the church and sometimes churches can actually hold up spiritual gifts and they value those things so highly and it comes so often from the, uh, the, the you know the, the stage of the church and I'm not saying that they're doing it in a negative way but it just gets so much kind of press and gets talked about so much in churches people can actually start to feel like well that's not me I'm not that and I just don't feel like I can actually fit in it feels like I've got to be able to do that to be able to fit in have a look at verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 12 But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, what's the next three words? As He chose. So you'll be who you'll be. You'll be who God made you to be. You can spend a whole bunch of time trying to be like something else or to fit in by being like something else. But do you know what the best thing for you to do is? To receive the fact that God made you a certain way And to be you now it gets messy because the whole striving for significance and pride comes in there and power and influence there's a whole bunch of stuff that actually comes into play there but let me ask you this are you really you are you the people that you see is that like at a deep level is that is that you or you're trying to be someone else You're trying to have someone else's gifting or someone else's calling or someone else's ability or you're trying to be acceptable, you're trying to fit in. Whose whose opinions shape you? Do you you think that you need to be like someone else to be acceptable? Now, people say often, you've probably heard this one before, just be yourself. Now, little kind of one-liner kind of truisms are helpful as far as they go. I trust that you're with me on that. There's, there's some parts of Peter that need Jesus needs to change yet, all right? And you, you might say, Peter, just be yourself, but don't be that self, all right? <laughs> be, changed, be changed by Jesus in that particular area of your life. But that is kind of a little bit of what I'm saying is be, be the person that God's called you to be. Isn't that, isn't that what the whole gig is about growing up? Is that you just get, you'd grow and you'd mature. And, I mean, don't you just want to be the truest version of who God made you to be on your deathbed? You with me? Like, not, like, it'd be sad, wouldn't it, to get to your deathbed and you'd be thinking about someone that you wish you were like or someone's opinion who's still shaping you on your deathbed, wouldn't that, isn't that sad? People go to their deathbed like that. In the church, you don't fit in by being the same. You fit in like a jigsaw fits together. You're different and you fit together and it works in this body that's amazing. Let me just push this one step further. If you look at what we've been, uh, what you can see there in 21 to 26, there's a real sense that people need each other in the church. You just can't be complete. I mean, you see that through this whole passage here. And I would ask you, how needy do you feel? Do do uh, Do you feel really? And I'm not, I mean, I think turning away from God creates a whole bunch of other needs right? But I'm just, in a creational sense, the way that God made you, He made you to need other people. Do you feel that? Do you feel that sharply, that you need other people? You can't be complete without other people. That's the way it works, which is why if you see someone kind of running off and being independent and just going, I can square life away on my own and I don't need that part or that person over there. I, I don't need any help, thanks. You've actually got a famished human, haven't you? It's just famished. It's just... It's not healthy and it's not operating the way it's meant to operate. Now, this has huge relevance in the church... Because it raises the possibility that if there's anyone in the church that is living for themselves and doing life independently both they and other people are missing out on what God's wanting to provide so you, you go home from church or you come to church if you're Christian, you love Jesus, God's actually teed you up to support and to help and contribute to other people. You go to community group during the week, the gig is that other people desperately need your contribution to them. And you desperately need their contribution. Do you feel that? And some of you, even at that point, you just go, <laughs> yeah, well, I've been really hurt by people. And, and it's maybe I don't mean this to be harsh, but this is just the way that God's made it. It's just the way he made it. You know, we need to work through how things break down and how things get difficult in churches, but it's just the way that he's made it. He's made his church to to be a body that has different giftings that all contribute to one another. Come with me down to, uh, sorry, 21 to uh, 26. Let's just read that again. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honour, less honourable, we bestow the greater honour and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honour to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together." You see the shift here, the shift at the start is, uh, sorry, the, the, the starting bit there is really about status, it's like I can do this on my own, I think I'll be alright, I don't really need you and then what we actually shift to is we shift to a sense of, uh, of hierarchy, inferior and superior people. And the question here is, if God gives gifts to whomever He wills, does that mean that some people are more valuable because of the gift that they have? And the answer is, no, no No, it doesn't. Now, we are probably affected more by this thought about superiority and status in the church than we think. You know why? Because culture works like that. The culture that you and I swim in works like that. There's a, um, an armchair kind of atheist philosopher um, who I, I quite enjoy his stuff called Alain de Botton who wrote a book called Status Anxiety and he talked about the anxiety that people feel uh, because they're trying to maintain or achieve a particular social kind of status. And I wonder whether you think often about your place in the church. In this church. Like some people, right, have levels and have worked out different levels that people are on in the church. Are they on that level? They're on this level. They put themselves on a particular level and there are big, big problems when we turn differences into sources of status we just dealt with one right you turn a difference into a status and you actually start saying things like if you don't have the right gift then we actually can't be one together and I think Paul's just kind of dealt with that he says yes you can be one there's unity in diversity you know what you get if You have to have a particular kind of gift or ability or calling as you get this peer pressure for sameness. There's a sense of exclusion. When you feel like you don't fit, you can feel like I'm just not in the in crowd. That's one of the problems you get when differences become connected with status. Now, before you become too much of an armchair critic of organisations and churches that might do this, It's not just the way that gifts are presented publicly in the church, it's actually the way that people perceive other people's gifts and they work out, they do the chess piece thing and they just kind of work out where everyone kind of sits, who's who in the zoo. What am I saying? Like you bring something to it as much as an organisation might actually bring to it. So if differences become status, uh, one of the things that happens is You get this idea that if you don't have the right gear, you can't be unified together. Another thing that I think comes out in uh, this section with Paul here is that people end up in a position where they feel like they don't need others. This importance thing, like I've got this gift, it's a really important one. You've got one that's just not that great, so I don't really need you. I'm just going to get on and do what I want to do. It's like I'm just going to do my thing. And I'm going to be happy with that. But I want to say to you that if you've ever felt like that or if you've even felt as though you were someone who just kind of got left off the end, don't settle for second best. That's just second best when it comes to what God wants for his church. You know, if you're someone who you feel like you've got a significant gift or place in the world that God's called you to and he's gifted you to do some stuff and you feel like you can go out and do stuff on your own, I'd say to you, don't be selfish. Don't run off. If you feel really self-sufficient, this is the the beauty of the scriptures, is God, what does he do with the proud? He humbles the proud and he lifts up the lowly. So if you feel lowly with the gift that you've got, be blessed because God notices you. (laughs) If you're proud and independent and self-sufficient, well, you probably need to be humbled. You do need to be humbled. You can't be okay on your own. That's a big idea here. No one who loves Jesus can be okay on their own. Now, sometimes we can even get into the habit of thinking, well, some of you, God really needs me. <laughs> you ever had one of those little moments where it's like you just, you, you God's called you for a particular time and place and you got this gift and you just go you know what, I reckon probably if I didn't execute this well in the next 10 minutes, the whole of God's plan of salvation is going to fall apart. <laughs> so you know what I'm talking about? You just have that little moment where you just go, it's, he's lucky to have me. Well, if you've ever had one of those moments, and I have had those moments, you, you need to remember that Jesus said he can make a son of Abraham out of a rock. If he wants to. He's the one that brought everything into being with a word. So he can just create something. It's like seriously, like if he wanted to, he could create a human to do the job instead of you. If you fell down on it. Do you you get what I'm saying? He's got the power to do that. Let me... um, start closing this out and I want to speak to the people that feel like they've got a gift that's not that significant and I want you to know that God notices what you do and do you know this is for the the confident person that's clear about what God wants them to do and feels important and this is also for the person who doesn't feel that important Do you know the opinions of the people around you no one's going to remember you in a hundred years except probably probably except Jesus he will remember you in a hundred years right he notices which is why you can get about and you can do the most lowly menial tasks and you can feel called to do that and you can operate in that kind of gifting you don't have to stand up and preach You have to lead worship. You don't even have to be up front. You don't even have to do something that someone notices because God always notices what you do. And it's a very, very small life indeed, the life that lives for the approval of other people, isn't it? So really? Like you want to get to the end of your life and have lived like a whole life of being enslaved to what other people think about you? You've heard me say this um, saying before. I am not who I think I am. I am not who you think I am. I am who I think you think I am. I am who I think you think I am. And we live, we can often live in the courtroom of other people's opinions, which a lot of the time aren't even real. They're just the opinions that we think other people have about us. And I want you to know that the, uh, and God would have you to know out of 1 Corinthians that the gifts that aren't that honourable are really special to him. And for those of you who have read a bunch of stuff about Jesus, this is classic Jesus, isn't it? It's the widow giving a couple of small copper coins, I think it was, and Jesus is sitting there and he says, she's given more than all the rich people gave. It's the Jesus who arrived in, uh, in Mark 9 at Capernaum and he says to his disciples, what were you guys talking about along the way? And the conversation they were having was about how to be the greatest or who was the greatest. And they kept silent when he asked them that question. <laughs> so I busted custard, all right? He sat down and he called to the 12 and he said, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all be the one that no one notices there are times I would love to be the one that no one notices because there is so much danger in being someone that people notice and I feel that really really acutely feel it very strongly And do you know, I think the reason why more honour is given to the people that seem, with the gifts that seem less honourable and more attention is given there is, I I just think that's what God's like. What, What did He do? Well, He got brutally flogged and executed He's a man of sorrows. He had a handful of people standing there when he got crucified. And don't you just notice with Jesus that he just does the small things the whole way through? And most of them just get missed. I mean, it's a classic example, you know, in this, in this Mark passage. What, what's, well, what's going on in Mark? It's like, yeah, so <laughs> his offsiders are having a conversation about who's the greatest. And what's he doing? Well, he's just getting on about what God's asked him to do. He just gets on about it and he does it. And he takes the low road, he takes the humble road, he takes the insignificant road and all the significant people get together and decide they're going to kill him. You know, I mentioned it before, but there was a competition even when Jesus born, was born to honour the Caesar because it, the caesar they said was someone who started a man and became god and they were going to restart the calendar based on the caesar's birthday you know the significant ones end up being insignificant because the one that walks what appears to us to be an insignificant life gets lifted up on the cross and changes everything it's it's always like that It's always like that. And you sign yourself up for disappointment and slavery if you give in to the desire to be significant and powerful and noticed and you don't humbly receive whatever it is that God's got to give you. We're uh, we're going to have communion today, and uh, communion is for people who love Jesus, who are part of part of His body. And I thought it was appropriate on a few different levels to have communion. Firstly, we haven't had it for a while, so I think we should have it. But that's not the main reason. The main reason, main reasons were, I mean. It's, the, it's the, the death of Christ that communion represents that makes us one. That makes this motley crew part of God's family. We, we are the ones that are Jesus' body. And do you know what? The cross... Jesus dying on the cross for you also settles once and for all that the one to whom being significant really matters is locked in. Doesn't it? You you don't need the opinions of another human to be okay. You don't need that. You don't need people to even like you necessarily but i'll tell you one thing the, the most critical person's opinion about you is is god right is it, which is why it just blows me away sometimes when i talk to people who, who don't love jesus and they believe in god and it's like they just keep doing life i just go well if you do believe in god you probably just need to find out what he thinks about what you're doing do you know what He thinks about you. He loves you. He really, really does. And he he doesn't love you because you're a fancy person or you've got a good gift or you're powerful or you're influential. He doesn't love you for any of that. He knows more about your personal dirty laundry than you know. He just does. He knows the stuff that you've never told anyone. That you're ashamed of. That you think, if I actually came out and I actually told someone, everyone would desert me. Everyone would put a sticker on my head that says, loser. Loser. And they would all desert me. He knows about that. And He loves you. (laughs) That's what what this is about today. You, you You don't have to strive for significance. Significance got purchased for you. You don't win it, you don't work for it, there's no way to get it, except to receive it. And we have scriptures in the Old Testament about he's kept my tears in a bottle. I'm engraven on the palms of his hands. So God, I would uh, would just ask that uh, as we take communion now that you would help Help it to have a good effect on us today. And God, I think a good effect would be that strong people would be humbled and weak people would be made stronger. That the strong people would realise and be able to see their need being amplified by, by taking this and that the weak people who see their need so largely and so clearly would be strengthened and brought up and lifted up. God, we just um, just want to say sorry to you. We, uh, we're silly the way that we run after significance and uh, think that we are things because of gifts that have been given by you, abilities that have been given by you. And we just sign ourselves up for slavery. And uh, you are the one that is about bringing freedom. And so, God, I just pray on behalf of anyone here whose hearts are reaching out to you right now that we want freedom. We we want the freedom that you bring. We don't want slavery, and on slavery to trying to be significant or powerful or strong. you bring freedom to us.